0: Hey, welcome back to Living Box Free. I'm Ashleen Seitz. And I'm Becky Ford. And we are back with our friends, Chris and Jackie, from last week. If you didn't listen last week, you might want to go back and take a listen. But if not, NBD, we're going to introduce them. They're going to introduce themselves. Today, we are talking about food facts from farmers. Don't worry, it's not going to get super political. We are here, our whole goal today is to talk about the fact that farming and agriculture are complicated there are no easy answers it's not simple that's what we're going to talk about today so we're going to answer some questions that most of us would ask about food because we don't know like i don't know i don't know they they were talking about all these things before we even started and i was like i don't even know what you guys are talking about (laughs) so we're going to get some answers today people we're going to make it happen but first becky what's on the rise for you today
1: On the rise for me this week is enjoying birthday decorations. Our little guy turned two on Sunday, and I just decided I worked so hard to put decorations up, we're going to keep them up all week. So our house is colorful, but they're coming down tomorrow. Uh, So it's been fun. What about you, Ash?
0: Uh, For me, I just got a free week, or a free month, actually, a free month at North Mass Boulder. It's a climbing gym nearby, and I am loving it. I don't think I can actually afford a membership after this month, but I really wish I could because it's been so fun. So I've been trying to get there a lot. That's what's been on the rise for me. Uh Chris and Jackie, I want to hear what's on the rise for you, and then we'll dive into some quick introductions. Chris, so why don't you go first?
2: On the rise for me is we're in, in the world of dairy and beef. It's getting close to being corn silage season. It's probably... One of my favorite seasons, it's when the corn plant is done and gets chopped um, and put into feed piles for the whole year's worth of feed for for a lot of farms. And that means fall is coming. That means football is coming. So that's on the rise for me that it gets busy, but I love fall. So um, it starts to cool down.
0: Did you say silage? Silage. Is that what you said? Yes. Silage, like a silo.
2: Yes. So, silage juice. I'll have to look that term up. Why?
0: I mean, I'm just, I just am curious, but that's okay. Great. Glad you're looking forward to it.
3: And the boys go back to school on Wednesday. Um, a lot of the schools around here go back on Wednesday. So, just getting ready. Last minute school supply shopping, getting the boys ready. New schedule. Like he said, corn silage, snaplage season. So I'm um, preparing myself mentally to get through that busy season and enjoy fall as well, this cooler weather and all the fun that comes with it.
0: It sounds like what I would think of as hay season for horse horse farming, but that's
2: Yeah, it's it's exactly like that. So that first time you smell fresh cut hay, that I'm that's the anticipation of the problem is it just drags out and drags out, and then you're tired of it, like anything right. else. But uh, no,
0: the first time I yeah. smell fresh cut hay, I'm like, "Oh no, <laughs> here it comes."
2: <laughs> well, there's some people with allergies that uh, it's probably yeah. not a fun.
0: Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. Why don't you guys give us a quick intro? Just talk about your careers in agriculture, um, basically why you're qualified to talk about this stuff because you are. Um, so, give us a quick introduction to. Chris and Jackie Sanford.
2: So, yeah, we are multi-generational farmers here in Southern Michigan. We, we are technically now first generation. Again, we've started all over Jackie and I, the farm again and buying a farm. And we raise beef cattle year round and sell direct to consumers um, here in Southern Michigan. We have a farm store here on the farm. Uh, We've grown up around agriculture since we were born, and it's a big part of our life and and who we are. My full-time job is I'm a livestock nutritionist, so I work with beef and dairy farms throughout Southern Michigan and working with them on what they need and and formulate diets and and work on their nutrition for their animals.
3: And I'm Jackie. Jackie. You can add everything Chris said. I also work full-time off the farm for Farm Credit here in Michigan, and I appraise everything that moves on a farm. So I'm not out there doing real estate or buildings. I am there to value the equipment, maybe cows and feed. So I have the opportunity to go out to a lot of different operations, which has really changed my perspective as we get to going on today's conversation Uh, Michigan is the second most diverse state next to California, so I'm out on fruit and vegetable operations, greenhouse operations, you name it, we might have it here in Michigan. So it has really changed my perspective on what local food is just because there is so much offered here in Michigan. So looking forward to having the conversation.
0: Yeah, I had no idea that was true about Michigan, so that's fascinating. See, fascinated already. (laughs) You're doing great. (laughs) All right, friends, our goal today like i said is to talk about the complicated nature of agriculture and food and just to hear it from people who have grown up around it what those some of those complications and back and forth issues are so let's let's start we're going to talk today about food labeling food security and sustainability and if you're not sure what any of those things mean don't worry i wasn't either we're gonna talk about them. Actually, I'm still not, but that's okay. So we're gonna talk first about food labeling. So talk to me, guys. Why is this even a thing? Why does this Why does this matter?
2: Food labeling has become a marketer's uh, opportunity to push upon the consumer what their what their wants and needs are. So as a farm for us, I guess uh, uh, the way we market our meat. We, we are partially grass fed. We are grain finished. You might see that in different labelings. We are antibiotic free and then hormone free. So when we talk about, when you see a label that says antibiotic free and hormone free, uh, the hormones is all of our bodies and all the animals' bodies are naturally we all naturally produce hormones. I think that's first and foremost. Uh, hormones happen throughout all of us and throughout all the animals. In some operations, you can add added just a little bit of hormones to add efficiency to a farm. It's not in all the data. It's not affecting anything. So that's that's brief on that. But we don't we don't use any on our farm. So we. That's a label we could use. We don't really put any of them out there. We're just going as a locally grown source of high quality beef. But when you walk into a grocery store, it can get really confusing. So you may see on you may see on a bottle of orange juice or a bag of shrimp that it says non-GMO. Well, oranges aren't a no. Oranges are genetically modified and and there's no shrimp that's genetically modified so so we're going above and beyond in the marketing game just to throw extra labels on so it's becoming confusing and 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 as a parent we're trying to figure out and navigate what to put on the table that's best for our kids or best for our family so it it As like you said in the the beginning, it's a complicated and big, messy thing. Becky, Jackie. Mm -hmm.
3: I think the biggest thing with our operation that we strive is that we don't want to sell based on fear. And so while we don't use hormones and and antibiotics minimally, I, I, I don't want to make money based on you being fearful of those things. That is not what I'm here for. I'm here to help raise delicious beef that your family is going to love. I mean, we have many stories of families whose kids don't eat beef. They try ours and they do. And so you'll never find us using labels to help sell what we have. There's already enough things that we're trying to navigate as parents. And food labeling is is just not one that we want to put in your basket to have to worry about.
2: So a quick touch on, so in instances, just like for you, for any of us, if we have to go and get an infection treated, we want to use antibiotics to to see another day. That's where modern science has gotten us. And it's the same way as, as farmers, we're not going to see an animal suffer. You know, we would use a minimal dose, maybe twice to get that animal better, And and for all of you listening that don't, we have, we have meat withholds. So if we put one in and it has a 30 day meat withhold, I can't, I can't send that animal to the processor until after that 30 days. And to give you an idea as a, as a nutritionist and as a farmer, my goal is not to use them, but I do also don't want to see them suffer or die. So that's, That's a big, big game for us, just like we would with anybody in our own family. So we're taking care of those animals. And and if I do the right steps as a nutritionist, as a farmer, I usually don't get to that point. But we all know what happens. We come out of winter, spring comes, and we have up and down days that are cold and wet. And that's one of the hardest things on animals is those changes in temperatures. And that's usually where we'll see... um, if you know, sickness come in, in those flux fluctuations of seasons. So we know when it usually has come. The biggest thing is in, especially in cattle is keeping them dry, keeping them comfortable and keeping the stress low when those periods of stress can happen.
1: Yeah. I'll jump in for a couple things. So first off I market for agriculture, right? I'm not, you know, at, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A or wherever marketing, um, or Chipotle. Here's a couple things. One to Chris's point, all meat technically is antibiotic free because of that withdrawal period where we don't process animals if they've had an antibiotic within so many days of, and when I say process, you can take that as, um, ending their life. (laughs) However you'd like to, I have to watch my words when I say processing. I know that's more of an agriculture word. Um, and so all technically all meat should be antibiotic free because there's a withdrawal period. They're not allowed to go and be processed until there's no antibiotics in their system. Something else, as we talk about hormones, there haven't been hormones in poultry or um, swine since the 1950s. So when you see that on those products, it hasn't happened since the 1950s. And, um, Now, and I, a whole nother bucket, uh, when it comes to hormones and Chris said this too, we all naturally have hormones in our body. And so it doesn't mean that that, that food is hormone free because the animal had hormones. It is, they didn't have any added hormones. And today I would say, you know, one of the most common places I think of why we might add hormones. I think of dairy cows. It might be to extend the amount of time that they're lactating or producing milk. Um, but it's a naturally occurring hormone that, that would be in them anyway, but allowing that to last a little bit longer. So just a couple of things around antibiotic-free hormones. It sounds so scary, like what Jackie said. And sadly, marketers have used that to position products in a way to try to get the competitive advantage because that's what food companies are looking for. They're looking for how do I get you to buy my product over this other product over here that doesn't have these huge words that say raised without antibiotics and it's chickens and none of them will have antibiotics in them since 1950. So just a few of those things. (laughs) I'm a marketer. So I also know the game that marketers play. Once again, how do we make our product more attractive and food labeling sadly has become that tactic used. And to Jackie's point, sadly, it's mostly creating fear and confusion in the common consumer. I know that we also talked about, we've talked about animals. We also talked about organic and GMO. When you see, uh, the label GMO free tomatoes, What do you think? There are no GMO tomatoes out there. Ketchup, sorry, it's all GMO-free. Okay, but most consumers don't know that, and these food companies have
0: started to add these things that create even more confusion. Becky, I I know this is a sort of a dicey topic, but I would love to back up because you Mm -hmm. mentioned specifically Chick Fil A and Chipotle, and I know those are not like the only, yeah the only issues but like can you explain because I didn't until I got to know you understand how they were marketing differently like Mm -hmm. I just didn't understand it and that doesn't mean like you should boycott Chipotle or Chick-fil-A that's I, I know you eat at Chipotle so it's not like we're not dissing them but can you help us understand what that marketing perspective looks like and how it differs
1: yeah Jackie feel free to chime in let's I'll just talk about Chipotle Because I had a huge like anti-Chipotle large portion of my life. And just recently, since they've supported national FFA and they've actually come to the agriculture education field and said, we're sorry, they had new leadership. Um, Chipotle, for me, looking back, and it was probably like, I don't know, Jackie, if you remember, maybe 20, yeah, 2010, something like that. 2010, 2011, and they actually created what I would call like propaganda, like c- cartoons of cartoon cows going through a line, getting injected, and and Chipotle put this out and basically said all of our meat, you know, it's antibiotic free, um, it's humane, da 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 da, and as an agriculturalist, man, that is, it's so hard to see marketing that's creating such a false sense of what's happening. And exactly to what Chris said earlier, if I have an animal that's sick, it is more inhumane not to treat it with an antibiotic, just like my child. Like, my child is sick, I'm going to take him to the pediatrician, and he might get prescribed an antibiotic. And so there's just a lot, as we talk about agriculture's complex. um, Sadly, there have been some businesses, like Chipotle in the past, that have put out misleading cartoons and commercials to place themselves in the market as you're caring more about animals if you come and eat here, which isn't necessarily the case. Jackie, Chris, anything I missed there?
3: I guess I would like to add that just as farmers ourselves, Chris will get in the pen. He can tell me how long each of those steers have been there, where they came from. <sighs> just every little piece, just as I would as a mom, be able to pick up when our boys are starting to become sick. Chris can't gauge it as well as I can, but man, when it comes to his cattle, he knows like number 47 is off. We need to keep an eye on him. Um, so yeah, when it comes to companies like that, making those misconceptions, it's hard as a farmer because you know you are giving blood, sweat, and tears as silly as that sounds. We, we truly are into our operation and caring for the animals. So it's really hard to see that as a farmer. And to know that that people think that they're eating better meat or whatever it may be because of those misconceptions, because it really is not the truth. To Jackie's
1: Jackie's point, what hurts me is when companies make other farmers look to be the villain. And what you just heard, Chris, he's a cow dad. He's not a villain. He knows when his cows are off. He knows them better than anyone. And. That's the story that doesn't always get told, which is why we're here today.
2: Well, and, I, and the, one of the biggest things it's done is it now makes our own industry turn against one another. So one way better than the other. You know, your, your way is not, not right for the environment, not right for putting on a family's table. You know, so now it, it's turned us against it against one another to try and outmarket one another and in the end we're all in agriculture trying to supply a food supply to ensure that we have the best proteins and the best foods in the world grown right here in our own country
0: i don't get the vibe that there are a lot of farmers out there who are like intentionally trying to poison people with their food that's not a vibe that I get. <laughs> no, nope. just for the record. Uh, it's, it feels like if you're in the industry, you are trying to supply food for others and maybe it is it can be just a financial lifeline, maybe, but you're still trying to supply food for others. That's the point of agriculture. is Am I correct on that?
2: Yeah, when you grow up in, in rural America and now we're seeing urban farming become a bigger trend, when you spend a day or spend a year, or spend your lifetime, like Jackie said, blood, sweat, and tears into something that maybe some people have always struggled to be that made, that didn't make them rich. Some people have been successful and we, it, we've seen different ways go about it, but it's just, it's a part of you. I mean, it, like Jackie and I, it's just, it's what we've become. And we see that, you know, we're under 2% of the whole U.S. population that, that are farmers and ranchers. And, and it's just a part of your blood. It's part of your genetics. and, And you take a lot of passion in, in supporting people around you. I mean, we, we were talking about it earlier in 1960, the average farmer fed 26 people and, and now that's between, They say 166, but I got to imagine it's higher as the population grows and as we support more of the world and it's 7 billion people population.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great segue to talking about food security. So I don't know, Becky, if you want to start in on this one of what even is the concept of food security. It's something we see on billboards, people like me see on billboards um, in commercials, but that's about it. Um, so I'd love to hear more about that. A real quick, if you're thinking, what is food security? It is the phrase
1: that's been given to those who, what we would say are food insecure, or they don't have the nutrition they need, um, to, to thrive necessarily. Um, and food security, I think that phrase became really popular I know in like 2013, there was a lot of education around it. And that's what you might see around on a billboard about a food pantry or a, um, a food bank and food security. It's, it's how affordable is our food and how do people have access to food? Uh, and one of the things that I think about from, uh, some education we've done from Malenko, my day job in the year 2050, the population will have grown and the demand for meat, milk, and eggs. So animal-based protein will have grown by 60%. So by 2050, we have to produce 60% more meat, milk, and eggs. And that's, that's across the globe. And it's because the middle class is what's growing the most. And when people start to make more money, the first thing they spend money on is food. And, and I would love, I know Chris and Jackie can share with us, when we talk about food, agriculture and and Chris was talking about all these, why we need these different types of agriculture and we shouldn't battle against each other, but these, you know, agriculture production methods are needed. I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit more about the why and how does that link up to providing access to quality food for those who might be food insecure?
2: So, yeah, this is, this is something I'm very passionate about of ensuring when I talk to other people in agriculture and and I talk, so my job allows me to work with organic grass fed family farms. Some farms could range from five, 10 cows to 2000 cows, 3000 cows. So I see every range of size, not only, and Jackie sees it on the poultry and, and, and pork side, the swine side, you know, and we have friends in all the industries throughout the country, as, as we go back to what, how Becky and I met, you just, you tend to meet a lot of people. So I see it. I see how we can all make a difference. And, and the biggest thing is at the end of the day, we look at, especially these last three, four months, we talked about this, one of the biggest things that's been impacted in a family's budget is the grocery bill. And, and we all talk about it. Groceries, a two bag trip used to be $20 and that two bag trip to the grocery store right now is 40 to $50, you know, and that really impacts us. So when we, when we start talking about food security and looking to the future, that and the decisions we make, not only in as, For our policymakers, as farmers, at the end of the day, are we putting food on everybody's table? We all can make individual choices for our family and how we want to feed them. We can pick what proteins and how they're raised. Some people can't make that decision. Some people are making the decision, can I put food on the table today? And is that food dense enough and high enough and good proteins and good fats and good fruits and vegetables. That's that's what I'm concerned about. I I grew up with a mom in public education, and we you know grew up in an area where free and reduced lunch were at seventy percent. We shouldn't judge those people. We should help those people by by being able to provide that. And that's one of the things, Jackie. The way we raise our animals here on this farm. That's a big reason because we wanted to target the audience and the, and the community here. We didn't, we, we, we could, you know, we really can't. We had that opportunity if we wanted to go 100% grass fed, but I don't, that's a whole different market. That's an hour away from us. That's that's taking more time away from my family. I want to impact the community that's here. I, I want them to have affordable, locally grown, high quality beef. So when I talk about food security as a whole and going back to those policymakers, I look at, for an example, you talk about some examples. I look at California and I think it was proposed prop 12 when no more couldn't have cage- free eggs. You caged eggs sold in California, and then they've made it harder and the rules, that even producers outside of California that are in cages can't sell in California. So if you're a middle to lower income family, if you've seen eggs most of your life at two, three dollars, or a dollar, and all of a sudden they're five to ten dollars a dozen, it's one of our cheapest and healthiest proteins. So the CrossFitters there listening, I mean, we use, we understand the value of of those proteins. So. That's one way I look at it. We push these, we push these ideas out there, but what are the impacts we're having on food security, especially for some families?
1: And Chris, what some people might not understand, they might be thinking right now, well, why does having a chicken in a cage versus not make it more expensive? And why does doing grass fed versus finishing on, um, grain, why, why is one more expensive than the other? I don't know if you want to touch on that.
3: I could touch on the eggs based on what I see, what I've seen going to some of these commercial poultry uh, customers. It's really fascinating. In the, in the reason a cage-free egg is going to be more expensive is you can take the same barn. You have to take out all the cages and you're putting significantly less birds in that barn. So one, you're not able to produce as many eggs each year, keeping them in cages keeps them safe because chickens like to bully each other. And so you're going to have an increased death loss. So there's an added expense as to why cage-free eggs are more expensive. And then we can get into diets. You know, are are these non-GMO eggs? You know, that's going to increase your price as well. But just to touch on the eggs and why cage-free is more expensive, those are two points right there. Very cool systems. Um, There's a lot of technology out there that have made it – um available to to poultry farmers to help reduce death loss um they're not it's just not just a bunch of chickens in a barn it's multi levels and it gives them shade like the darkness where they need it for the day and places to eat so those are two points that would be why you know cage free versus cage less or caged um you know that price difference so it's just it's just important that as we make decisions and, and talk about what's passionate to us, what is, who else are we affecting?
0: Yeah. Those are things I, I don't think about when I buy eggs. Well, actually I used to have this whole, I wrote multiple blog posts about buying eggs where i like stand in front of the egg, you know, display. And I'm like, I don't know what I should be buying. And it's, it's validating actually to hear from you guys. You don't know what you should be buying. Like, it's complicated basically. Um, and there might be a right answer. I'm not saying there isn't a right answer, but for me, but it is complicated. It's comforting to hear that in some ways of like, I don't know. yeah, uh, cause I don't know what goes into it. I don't know, you know, how frequently chickens murder each other. That's not a thing that I am aware of. <laughs> even even you
1: just think about being closer to their feces and disease, things like that. Um, yeah once a farmer, actually an egg farmer told me this and I was like, Oh, that's genius. And he goes, just think about this. You know, agriculture didn't start off like it is today and everything we've, we've grown into has had a purpose. And now people are trying to get rid of those things. And so now we're like, wow, we reduced disease by this much, but now we have to go back to this and we have more death, whether it's from, you know, chickens are mean, they can be cannibalistic. They see some blood and they peck. Like And so everything we we grew into was with a purpose, and now it's trying to go back, but seeing the loss increase because of that, and sometimes even the, the welfare. So, Jackie, yeah, I think you did a great job. Yeah. Um, and that's just a little glimpse. Like we said, it's complex. So we could go yeah. through a million different reasons why we do what we do in different production types.
2: And don't get me just, wrong. We're small farmers. You know, I, I fully support if you want – if your neighbor has – 10, 20 chickens. You want to buy eggs from them, buy eggs from them.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: our world has gone to convenience though, and that grocery store, everything's in it. So it's just looking at, looking at all the options, but we all have those, we can all make those choices on how we want to spend our money and how we want to support agriculture. And, and it's, our world's a big corporate world and it's it's a challenge for small farmers to get into those big places so it's and they they live on a cost too and so they're going to do things that affect their bottom line as well
0: yeah so guys we've like barely scratched the surface and we're running out of time already this is awesome um i think we're going to need to come back and talk about some of these things in more depth which i'm excited about But let's just brush on sustainability. Let's just talk about why it's even a thing that we need to talk about. And then I would love to hear resources that you guys have to suggest of where people can learn more in the meantime while they wait for us to find time to record another podcast about this. (laughs) So let's talk about sustainability for a minute.
1: One of the biggest things from the part of the industry I'm most involved in, the animal health side, that we hear a lot about is, oh my gosh, Greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture, that's what's ruining our environment. And what a lot of people don't recognize are truly what are the numbers. And actually, um, only 4% of all greenhouse gas emissions are from animal agriculture. And when you look at what is really causing a lot of those emissions, 35.6% is from human caused emissions. 26% from electricity, 27% transportation. So there's so many other things. And, and I share that because from a sustainability point, yes, agriculture has a 4% from livestock contribution and we're working on how do we reduce that? But there's some other really big contributors there that don't always make the headlines, right? Like the, the diesel truck or whatever you're driving, the transportation, um, so that's, that's one thing that comes to my mind around sustainability. The other one I've had people say, uh, Hey Becky, wouldn't it just be better for the environment if we all just ate plants and, and like, wouldn't that just be better? And the, this data there. So if every American, this is just an example. Um, and this is, I can put the references in our show notes if we want. If every American went vegan, we'd reduce the greenhouse gas emissions by 2.6%. But here's the deal. That would assume that all livestock would disappear. So you're saying, okay, if we all just ate plants, we all went vegan. We didn't eat anything from animals. We would reduce it 2.6% the greenhouse gas emissions, but all the animals have to go away because if they're still here, they're still going to be contributing. Right. And And for those who are a very
0: nice way of putting it
1: going away. Yeah. And I'm just talking about livestock here. There's a lot agriculture is doing around practices and reusing byproducts. Um, and I, I mean, I'll stop. I know Chris is our nutrition, ruminant nutrition expert here. I just touched on a few things that, that we talk about from the Elenko perspective commonly.
2: Yeah. And we can just, you know, for the listeners, one of the biggest facts to think about, and this goes back, you know, can tie into the food security deal as well. The United States is the fourth largest country in the world with cattle with just under 94 million head in the country. The top two countries have 550 million head of cattle. That's India and Brazil. China's third. Part of those cows in India are sacred. So they're just, they're trash getters, they're emitters, but they're protected. I mean, if you've seen pictures, cattle wander in parts of India. Some are used, um, but it's all dependent on religion in in India. Um, So if you think about meatless Mondays or vegan Fridays, the 94 million in the U.S. doesn't hardly put a dent in, you know, looking at cattle emissions of what's out there in the world. The one thing the U.S. has from a farmer's perspective, from a science perspective, from a nutritionist's perspective, we are one of the most advanced countries in understanding and feeding animals. We are very, very efficient because we look at we look at cost as farmers. The better I can raise crops, the more efficient I can put that through the animal. And especially for Jackie and I. If I can make more meat and milk off less pounds of feed, that also means less cow farts out the back end. I mean, so, or burps out their mouth. If we start really talking about how cattle work (laughs) and distribute nothing, but so that's, that's a little bit, all of a sudden, you know, we're trying to pound these policies down our throat that, that we're not doing the right thing, but I mean, the one thing you can trust and and we look at how far science has come, science has come just that far in agriculture as well and how we, you know, how well we produce meat and milk. And from a food security, you know, to tie the two together, I mean, we're, we also grow the safest food supply in the world. We have some of the best regulations on, on milk and, and going back to that labeling, I mean, Every that was one thing I forgot. Every load of milk is tested for antibiotics. If there's any in it, it gets dumped. So trust that one. Um, So that's kind of my cattle emissions. That people don't fully grasp what's out there in the world. I mean, we're only nine percent of all the cattle. I mean, it's we can eliminate it, but it's not. There's still ninety-one percent still out there.
0: Yeah man, that was, that's, that was very well summed up. My immediate instinct is to be like, okay, if meatless Monday, isn't going to fix it, well then what can I do? But I feel like that's a whole other podcast. And that was not the point of today. The point of today (laughs) was to say, this is complicated. And maybe we come back to, okay, what are some options for me? What, what can I work on? What, what does help? Um, I would love to talk about that at some point. But yeah, I think you guys really drove home that this is complicated. There are multiple answers. There are multiple ways of doing things. So thanks so much for talking through that. Um, Jackie, I'd love to hear. I know you did some research. What what? Where should people follow? Where should people go to find resources on this? Let us know.
3: Yeah, so some of the people that I love to follow, number one, just hitting on the fitness here would be Dairy Girl Fitness. So she is; she was born and raised on a dairy farm, and she's constantly at the gym, very, um, you know, a gym fitness fanatic. Um, but she also encourages a well-rounded diet, especially a diet that includes dairy. So check her out; she would be awesome. Um, as a mom, one of the the cool People that I like to follow, her um, her her name, her following is called uh, Kids Eat in Color. So she just helps you understand if we're talking about food security, um, she really gets big into school lunches and talking about school lunches being bad and how that can affect other kids and turn into food, food bullying and you know how much we should be feeding our kids and helping our kids um, eat more fruits and veggies in their diets. Um, food babe is one that I like as well. She covers and talks about all crops grown in ag. So peanuts, cotton, she came to Michigan and covered asparagus harvest in Michigan this spring. So that was cool. And then another great one is our friend, Michelle Payne. She touches on mental health in ag, um, but also very relatable to a lot of listeners here. Many people as well.
2: She's wrote two or three books and one of them is called food bullying touches a lot on that labeling um, and goes into depth with different farmers on that. So some of that we've touched today, she's expanded on more.
3: Yeah. She, Um, if you go into the grocery store and are confused, check out her books because she really goes into depth about what does it mean to be cage-free or antibiotic-free, hormone-free. She does a great job and has a lot of resources in her books. So those are some of our favorite influencers if you're looking to learn more about ag and why we do what we do.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, Jackie and Chris, for being with us. If there's one thing that is clear, we have a lot of passionate people on this podcast and we're passionate about taking care of our animals, passionate about providing food for everyone and making sure everyone has access. And the other thing is, What we talked about today, we hit on some big misconceptions. And Chris said this, and I want to reiterate it. We support all types of agriculture and farming and ranching. I grew up on a hobby farm. I sold eggs at a farmer's market. We support the small farmers, the big farmers. And our goal today was just to hear from a farmer's mouth a little bit more about some of the things that are confusing because agriculture is complex. And there's lots of different segments and legs to agriculture, we just touched the surface today. We're going to see if we can get some more time with Chris and Jackie later to go a little bit deeper in some of these areas. If you heard today's podcast and you've got questions and you are like, Hey, I want to hear this from Jackie and Chris, send us a DM, send us those questions. We'd love to ask those. Really appreciate y'all joining us. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week until next time. We'll see ya. Bye.